0: This is the Everyday Business Show.
1: I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because if I fail, that means I fail for my entire female nation, I call it. (laughs) Is that possible? That was the question for myself. It is absolutely possible.
0: Good afternoon, Australia. Good evening, America, and welcome to everyone listening across the planet. I'm your host, Tony Lontis, and this is the Everyday Business Show where we talk about life, business and the universe and that's precisely what we're going to do today and in a moment I'm going to introduce you to an amazing young man but before I do that just a reminder if you're listening on LinkedIn Facebook YouTube twitch or Twitter my beautiful VA's Hannah and Renee are listening and waiting for your comments and questions and to send you any links for things that we talk about today and a big reminder, too, that we would love you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you can find us under Tony Lontis on YouTube if you just search in the YouTube search bar. We're also visible on BBS Radio. And thank you so much to my amazing hosts, BBS Radio TV out of Houston, Texas, USA, and the gorgeous TJ, who is the comforting voice i hear every week and every show before we go live to air calms my nerves and preps me for the show now a reminder that the replays of these shows the videos are available on binge networks usa and tony tv across all lg samsung and roku smart tvs across the planet now i've been doing a welcome to country each and every week and this week is no different it's a special acknowledgement of the part that our traditional and indigenous communities play in the development of our cultural identity so i want to respectfully acknowledge the people of the Yugambar language region that is the gold coast Queensland Australia the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and pay my respect to the elders past and present and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening here today Now, I just want to say before I introduce you to the lovely Brett James Bishop that this morning I had the privilege of doing my first international virtual press conference announcing the collaboration between Everyday Women's Network, Streaming TV, the Tony TV channel and Zondra TV Networks USA. What a privilege it was to be in the presence of such amazing women. And please look forward to this space as Zondra and I continue to expand the bounds on which you think about traditional TV, linear TV, and its replacement streaming TV, which provides Platforms for you to speak your truth and share your message. And the reason I mention that today is because one of my passions in life is giving voice to people who are courageous enough to talk about their story. And my wonderful guest today is no different. Before I start the show, though, just um, a short warning that topics and discussion within this show today may trigger people listening. And it's important for you to remember that there is help available for anything that this triggers in you today. We will be talking along adult themes and having adult discussions. And whilst predominantly we are a business show, we are in the business of life. And in life, things happen. So I want to introduce you to a very special young man, Brett james bishop and he's a filmmaker director writer he is a son a brother and an amazing friend and he and i have been online friends for quite some time now and we started a conversation back in 2019 around the documentary neverland talking about michael jackson and the Neverland documentary had just been released and I'd been very vocal in commenting around my thoughts uh, alluding to Michael and the documentary and that's how Brett and I started our conversation. And back then, I wanted... To talk to Brett, um, talked about his experience and and how triggering Neverland in particular was for him. And I made him a promise back then that if ever he wanted to talk about his story, then I would give him space and time to do so. And I want to remind the audience and want you to be very cognizant of the courage it takes a young man. To step up and talk publicly about the trauma of life, and so I want you to keep that forefront in your mind as I introduce you today to the wonderful Brett. Good morning, Brett. Good evening in the US. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, it is definitely evening. But good morning or good afternoon to you. <laughs>
0: it's 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 morning, afternoon, evening somewhere across the planet, isn't it? Always. So, Brett. Yes. We started a conversation as friends quite a while ago, and Mm -hmm. um, I was looking back over our conversations yesterday when I was um, preparing for the show and wanting to remind people that it's really, really important that we continue to have these conversations. So I want to start at the beginning, and with your permission, I'd like to talk a little bit about growing up. Are you okay with that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ask away. Ask questions. I'm here to answer. I'm here okay. To
0: show so let's talk about what it was like growing up for you.
1: I am in Utah, in the United States. Yes. Utah is known to be very dominantly um, um, LDS. It's the Latter Day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. So I was raised in the church, um, but the the household I was raised in was pretty abusive. Um, yes. And I, you know, I, I didn't know why when I was a kid. I didn't know through childhood that things this was abuse. I didn't know that this was trauma uh, until high school, and then starting to piece things through. But growing up was, you know, you're presented the world that's given to you. You, you exist in that reality that they, that your parents create for you, or or maybe even lack thereof sometimes. But it was it was, it was, it was, it was it was it was it was all right. Until I realized what wasn't all right later on.
0: And that's the thing. When we're children, we only know the family and the environment to which we were born. And it's often not until we grow and start to experience life as an adult that you start to question exactly what it means to you and the way you grew up so i want to talk briefly brett and for you to explain to the audience some of the fundamentals around the mormon religion if you're okay with that
1: i don't know if i'd be the best (laughs) person to talk i i mean i i guess i could try let's (laughs) but uh the fundamentals is uh just where the church came from uh joseph smith was a was a prophet and he was visited by heavenly father and Jesus Christ, the Holy ghost, and was asked to create this, this true church that had been left off the planet for a very long time. And through there, this dynasty has, has been created uh, and you know, since the 18 thing, 1860s and yeah, now it's just the dominant religion. It's, it's, it's very much in control of a lot of things here that, some, it shouldn't be. Uh, yes. But yeah, so culturally though, that's that's really where you can almost remove it from what the church is and what the church teaches to what how the members have taken it and how they have kind of cultified it in a way. I don't even know if cultify is a word. That is now.
0: Cultify is actually a great word is to Is it? Okay. Use,
1: <laughs>
0: I, I, think it's, I think it's a good word to use because good. in cults, There is life only as the cult sees it. And once you step out of sight of that, you become estranged from the cult principles and practices. And Brett, growing up, did that mean for you that you didn't know much outside of the Mormon church teachings until you got older?
1: Definitely, 100%. 100 percent it was all it's all about the culture and uh, again there is a separation from what the church is to what the culture is and if you go anywhere outside of utah and you go to and you're part of uh, the i'm just gonna say lds if that's okay uh the lds faith uh anywhere else it's a completely different community uh so it's mainly i i think the the stigmas are really big in utah more than anywhere else so
0: And, Brett, is there any – I'm trying to get an understanding of why this seems to centre on poor old Utah. Is it just because that's the home base for the Mormon religion?
1: Yeah. So um, Joseph Smith is from – the east coast and they were kind of persecuted once the church started gaining members at that time and they were forced to leave or if it was brigham young i apologize i know there's gonna be a bunch of mormon uh specialists on on me with this i apologize The point being is that at one point the church was was over east coast and they traveled and once they got to uh-huh. utah that's where the there's a famous saying where i believe is brigham young said this is the place and that's where they established themselves and have ever since. So
0: So Utah seems to be the epicenter for the religion and help me understand some of the things that you experienced as being born into the Mormon religion.
1: Things I experienced basically were social, what were social norms you could say. Uh, within that, um, I remember like the first time I met. I had a friend. I think it was in fifth grade that was Catholic, and that was like a big deal because everyone else, as far as I knew, and as far as I associated with, was LDS. So it was it was just kind of being in a bubble. And of at certain ages, you go through certain steps in the church, and you you gain certain you know you advancements. I'll say because I, again, I don't really yeah. want to speak for the church per se, but it's. You know, there's that, but again, it's the culture that that is. You know, you you must be baptized at eight years old. There's there's no question that you wouldn't choose. They say you choose it, but you're also eight years old. Um, that you wouldn't choose to be baptized, and then you become no. an official member of the church and whatnot. And so, yeah, there's. So those are the type of things uh, yeah. growing up as far as what was expected. I yeah. think is probably the best way to put it.
0: Yeah, Brett. Um, if I may, um, you talked about growing up in an abusive home. Can you explain to me what that meant for you in particular?
1: To explain that, <clears throat> because I think this will be an ongoing thing today. Yes. Uh, to explain that, you have to go into the cycle. And where did the cycle start? So it didn't start with me or yes. what happened to me. It honestly, it started with my mother. And yes. she was... She was the oldest of all her siblings. She was verbally, uh, physically, spiritually abused from at, since the get-go. Her father was a raging alcoholic and, uh, and abused her mother in front of her to the point where even her, her mother would yell out for my mom as a young girl to try to help. So that that type of trauma and stigma, like, and again, we're talking decades ago. Now we're barely getting to the point where we could have this conversation. So imagine going back 50 years and dealing with that, even maybe even longer and growing up. So she was, and it's kind of a long winded answer. I apologize, but she is, (laughs) she is again, the oldest of her siblings. So she in a, in a way raised the siblings because the mother had her own situation going on, but this was something where it was very hush hush again, culture now is tough in Utah. If you're kind of outside of the LDS, uh, culture not to use the word again but but back then it was quiet it, they call them wards so that you gather together and you have your own wards of group of people yes. w- depending on where you live and then there's those are it, it, those wards make up stakes and anyway so yes. when you're in your ward you put on uh, back then mainly you put on your happy face and and nobody else is going on and i mean that's kind of probably how it was back at that point in america regardless maybe elsewhere as yeah. well yeah. So she never got to talk or understand exactly what she was going through and she went straight from living with parents if you want to say parents yes. to being married. And when you get married, uh especially back in that that time, you were to be married very early and you were to have kids immediately and you were to have a lot of kids. And I don't yes. I I'm sure that's very cultural versus I don't, I don't remember reading in the book of Mormon that you're supposed to have, you know, seven, eight, 19 kids. kids. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's mainly culture, but it was, so for her, she went from raising her own siblings and then being expected to have her own kids. Now she had seven of her own. I'm six. So I'm in, I'm in the lower half, but yeah. so with her, I, I think that that cycle of abuse yes. happened because. I don't, I don't know how she, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think she abused her siblings the way that she abused her own children. And I think that I don't think she will ever understand that she was the abuser. I think it's, she is so gone with trauma and so absolutely broken that there's no way she's, you know, she would, therapy would never be an option and all of that. You know, that, that's available now that we can talk again as we are right now. So I, with what happened with me, I have to go back to the cycle of that. And I'm sure with her father, I'm sure there is all sorts of stuff, him growing up. So, you know, that's what happens with that, like, you know, as it yeah. does with any of these I was just going to say, I apologize. Chris, it-
0: No, no, please, please don't apologize. It's important to have these these conversations because Mm -hmm. for many people, they don't understand that what they're doing is abuse until you step outside and recognize, oh, my goodness, I was abused. And therefore, unless I heal my own abuse, it's going to be perpetuated in my life going forward and so i know that you have done that and started on your healing journey and it's been incredibly difficult for you brett i know that um Mm -hmm. and uh, and in sharing part of my own history around trauma is that you are only you're responsible for your own healing but you're not responsible for the healing of your parents your siblings or anyone else you can only do your own stuff um and it's incredibly hard to remove yourself from that cycle isn't it
1: right absolutely the reason why i was saying sorry is i'm bobbing around a lot i actually just cut my leg open so i'm sitting here <gasps> trying to like be very like i'm not oh you know my God. but you it's, it's not to- bad no it's not it- bad it's I, I just really i really scraped it we're good by the way, I am. Oh. I am also. We got to get this out. I am also a super sarcastic and funny guy. So yes. if I at any point, cause again, I know that there are those watching, and we talk about trigger warnings. If there's at any time where if I laugh at something with abuse, you're going to see that it's really a defense mechanism. I, I was, you know, just i gonna I, I'm, remind yeah.
0: people. Okay, I, good. I, I was Just gonna remind. So, Brett, just I try recently. not to though. No, 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 but this is a really important concept for the audience to grasp because recently we have a very prominent uh, female uh, in the public eye and her trauma is pretty recent. When I say recent, uh, within the last 10 years and she was hounded by by traditional media when she gave the Prime Minister the side eye. And there was a whole range of conversation about the inappropriateness of her behaviour. I'm telling you, from my perspective and from many experts' perspective, that side eye she gave the Prime Minister had zero to do with disrespect and everything to do with her trauma. So, from her trauma perspective, here's a white male. Big guy in her space, and the similarities between a man, a white man in power, and the similarities to her perpetrator were evident to oh, wow. me and anyone else who works in trauma. And that's something we have to talk about, Brett. That people who have suffered trauma may not react in the way that people think that they should, or is, or that is acceptable in the community and that should be okay people need to understand that people in trauma recovering from trauma healing from trauma will have defense mechanisms that they have no control over that they may down the track be able to mend and mold to suit certain social norms but we should not expect that from them In the first instance, and you're very vulnerably saying, this is what happens for me. The only way I can cope with this level of trauma is that I'm sarcastic and I laugh inappropriately. And I think that as society, we need to accept this in trauma. And it's about trauma-informed care. And we need to be having the discussion more often.
1: Don't you agree? I do. And I think the sarcasm started with not being able to approach the subject and, and not being able to even, even within myself, you know, approach the subject I have, and I'm sure we'll get to this. So I'm kind of jumping to the end here, Um, you know, but through my own meditation, my own coping skills, learning coping skills and going through Alcoholics Anonymous, I have learned to settle that down (laughs) and kind of you know put a little put a little lid on it but so i'm much better with with all of that because i've been able to go through it uh like that but i mean there's even siblings i have now that won't can't even bring up or just flat out deny you know what what we went through and i i think the the bottom half of the kids kind of got it worse than the top so i don't know i wasn't around for all of them but that's kind of seems from story time of ensuring what they're willing to share. It seems like we kind of got it. I didn't get as bad yeah. as my older brother. Like my older brother right above me, he got it bad. I was yeah. kind of I could I learned how to fly under the radar probably because of that. Yeah. But
0: So Brett, tell me about the moment that you sort of were conscious that what you'd suffered was abuse. Can you walk me through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was in it high school so I went, yeah. there, I mean, it's a long story long, but I, you know, middle school, I didn't go to the middle school that I, in the town I lived in. I went with my dad, who's a school teacher, but he, he, there was a canyon in between my, my middle school, and my backyard. So I didn't really have a lot of friends and I just kind of stuck to myself. But once we moved and I actually went into high school where I was living, that's when I able I was able to start getting friends. So I was no longer living in that little bubble mm. per se. And then when you're in elementary school, you don't. I I I couldn't for me. You
0: only I didn't know. know. Yeah. Yes.
1: And that was and that was traumatic. And I mean, we can if at some point if you want to talk about what even happened in childhood that was that was abuse. I'll let you know. I am totally open. I am
0: am happy for you to to talk about that if you're comfortable, Brett. And just for the audience, again, I'm issuing you a trigger warning. But it's important that we have these conversations so people can recognize behavior for what it is. So I'm going to hand over to you, Brett, and in in your own words.
1: Let me rant. I'm just kidding. See, that's the sarcasm. (laughs) That's the moment. Now, um, so to finish the thought with high school, so I was able to get friends. And when they would see, first of all, how very closed off my house was, nobody was really allowed inside the house. And for Ah. them to kind of see behavior, and, and I started getting feedback from them that, hey, this isn't normal you know, it kind of felt like a full house episode. I'm sure you all know full house, yes. you know, where where all of a sudden the, the kid from the outside comes into their perfect world and he's being abused. And they're like, wait, this isn't right. So I was that kid coming into their world. And they're kind of like, you, what, you know, what happens? And I mean, I even had like, I even had a moment with, with a sibling that beat up another sibling. But I mean, it wasn't like, you know, brothers fighting. It was, my my Hold brother, on. who was it was he was out of out of school for two weeks, and I had to lie about why he was out of high school or why he was not attending school. So I was I and, now, and that comes with threatening. But I mean, so we can even move backwards. My mom did a lot of things where she expected a lot from my dad. My dad was a Marine, then Army Reserve, was a mechanic and a school teacher at the same time. So he wasn't around wow. too much, which that was kind of the staple I want to say culturally or expected that the, the dad works and the mom stays home and, yes. and raises the kids and does the cooking and all that you know we're going back to this you know the cleavers type you know leave it to beaver type idea but yeah in a more realistic deranged type of way and so you know my dad and I never I never really had a dad in the traditional yes. sense I mean I had a dad and he was and when yes. he was there it was fine but it wasn't ever a bonding you know type thing ever and so anyway, so she would expect a lot from him, put a lot on his plate, put a lot of expectation and pressure. And when he didn't deliver, it was all out hell. And oh. that happened a lot. And there was times where I would wake, I would, we would wake up when we were first grade, second grade, third grade, young kids, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And the, my mom would be on the floor crying, saying that my dad did something or if you, if you come home and the furniture is gone. Because your dad couldn't pay the bills. If you come home and your bed is gone. And, you know, when you are a second grader, you're home. That's hard. And so it is, yeah, I mean, it's. so I'm going to school and I'm not doing well because I'm thinking, am I going to have a house to come back to? And it was really all of just playing. It's almost like they were divorced without being divorced and kind of using the kids' upset. So So it it was a lot of that. But my mom was also very again for whatever reasons you know I want I don't want to justify it but for the for the reasons that it happened was she would abuse in a way of physical she had a, a yardstick that she would yes. rail on us um, if it was there's a shoe that's next to her that she can throw unopened yes. unopened cola cans I mean Ouch. You know, and it's to the face it's not it's not too anywhere you know, and I actually realized that even as we got older into high school the violence got worse because it became less close combat because we were bigger and it became yeah. more of what can we throw you. And I remember I took that yardstick and I broke that into as many pieces as I can. One day I, did, I, I buried it in my backyard. I remember that. That was, that was cathartic, I suppose. But um, anyway, but uh, yeah, there it is. And so with again, high school, having those friends and you start realizing, Oh, this isn't right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, the the reason why I stayed outside so much when I was a little kid wasn't because I had a great imagination, which I do, and I was yes. playing outside and stuff. But it was really a way of just staying away and staying under yes. the radar and not being part part of things. And it's, I mean, mm. that's continued on. And so that's yeah. where the complex PTSD comes in. Yes. into That too, because that complex PTSD is is rough. Diag- I wasn't diagnosed with that until even after even after we we've been talking. That yes. Oh, later. So anyway, yeah. I don't know if I'm jumping here. So
0: No, anyway. no, that's fine. I, I, I wanted to have an organic conversation about yep. trauma in general. So in talking about uh, PTSD, mm-hmm. I guess the simplest way is that you have experienced trauma. And from a young age, mm-hmm. uh, that has created pathways in your brain that trigger you to react when you're in certain situations and it's fear-based because your body is trying to protect you from what you perceive as fear because what you experienced as a child was fearful and scary and so going forward into your adult life it keeps happening even though you've moved out of the family home you're living an independent life it still happens. Your brain keeps trying to protect you, and you have to learn how to deal with that, don't you, Brett?
1: Right. Well, uh, yeah. That's a that's a very that's that. There's a lot with that. <laughs> yes, a lot with that, so, there is a yeah. lot with that. I mean, and, and even sorry, guys.
0: I was just going to say, in talking about trauma, you, people have to understand that decades of trauma takes double decades to heal and move out of. So one of the important conversations that we should be having in society is when we know and find children from uh, suffering from trauma, our first point of call should be, counseling and therapy because statistically if we don't help immediately then you and I are dealing with these things as adults and in adulthood it takes decades to navigate through
1: as you know Brett yeah, absolutely and the thing about that is if if the cycle continues so you so with my dad not my dad sorry my mom my mother's dad getting confused yes. and then her and, and she carried yes. on the same cycle correct um there are I, I can't speak for my other siblings because i don't know how they parent i know that my brother older than right older older than me that had it really bad i gotta read that got it really bad, yes. made a point and i remember we had conversations as we were kids saying we will never raise our kids this way so we actually did yeah. recognize to yeah. a very small extent that there wasn't yeah. something exactly right uh, mm-hmm. and he's done an amazing job with his children. He has absolutely switched it. The the thing with me is I can, I didn't realize this until recently. I continued the cycle of abuse, but it wasn't outward. It was
0: was inward. That's the next, that's the next thing that we need to talk about. Wherever alcoholism, drug abuse, promiscuity, uh, antisocial behavior exist, unless there's a diagnosed, uh, psychological reason for that it usually goes back to trauma in most instances if you go back far enough there will be trauma driving drug abuse alcoholism sexual abuse childhood abuse It's not inherent in human nature for these things to happen. They happen for a reason. And and as Brett is demonstrating, sometimes this is intergenerational, multigenerational. And it takes courage and acceptance to move yourself out of these cycles and to start to heal. It takes courage to heal. It takes courage to talk about it. It takes courage to have conversations about what this looks like for me. It takes courage and vulnerability to talk about what it's like living in that depths of blackness and despair because of trauma.
1: Right. And to add to that, I'm multilayers here. So for me, of course, I beat myself up all the time. I don't oh, really yeah. believe myself. And I, yeah. saw, I was actually going to send you a little meme that I saw earlier, but I was like, I don't want to harass her. So I'll just tell her later. You and it's,
0: never it's... <laughs> harass me,
1: Fred. Uh, you sorry.
0: never. And yes, be that's the funny. thing. And that's the thing too. I- inherent in all trauma is that lack of self-belief. Right. And I know in for me, it's taken 50 years to, to have some level of self-belief and all it takes is a mistake on an email tech messing up and I go back to that place of I'm not good enough who the hell do I think I am who the hell do I think I'm why am I trying you know I know those stories in my head I know what it comes back at me and it's a constant no you're okay, you're safe, you're supported, life is okay now. This is just a glitch. Nothing more than a glitch.
1: Yeah. And well, that's perfectly said because what the beam was saying, I'm going to just paraphrase it, was something along the lines of like when you're feeling that you're struggling, when you're feeling like you're at your lowest, somebody else is admiring how strong you are. And Absolutely. so it's like that goes both ways. And so like you're yeah. feeling like that, but I look at you like you're amazing. You've done, look at what you've done. <laughs> Look at all the accomplishments, and then vice versa. <laughs> you know, you, you yeah, and I'm, I'm equally, yes. I don't know. Sure.
0: <laughs> See, and from my perspective, I think that if all you ever do is get yourself out of that trauma cycle, that's enough. Like, because that's a big deal. Yeah.
1: That's a really big deal. And I think. There's getting out of the cycle, and then they're staying out of the cycle. So I, I know that oh, sounds yeah. like two different things, but it's it's you're working on it every day, and it's unfortunately yeah. that's your life, and it, it sucks. But the thing I want to I, I kind of want to bring up and kind of put a spotlight on is I don't know if that was and this is just something I got in me that I wanted to that told me to kind of bring it up. I'm wondering yeah. if there are listeners that had never considered that the cycle of abuse can continue with with them. But within themselves, I I think with us yeah. we've worked through that. But at one point, yeah. that would have been mind blowing for me to be like, oh, yes. that's why I do that. That's why that's I why. drink so much. Or yeah. even even if you don't drink, say you stay away from drugs and all everything. Yeah. That, you
0: there'll you be that. something.
1: There'll it, be except, something. That's why I can't connect. Workaholic. With anybody a workaholic, or I can't yes. connect emotionally with with someone that I I'm dating. Or why yes. they don't date and it, yes. I mean, a flurry things. So it's, you know, yeah. once you, once you can step back and draw that line back to where it started or, yeah. or you know, those things, you know, that's, that's where, so I just, I, I really want to put spotlight on that because that again would have been 15 years ago, 10 years ago, would have been mind blowing. For, for, yeah, uh,
0: for, I agree. Uh, I agree um things that i talk about in and around trauma now had i known back then they would have been life-changing so it's why i feel so passionately um about making sure people understand about the trauma cycle and inherent uh it, it comes through your dna um the trauma sits in your dna so you have to first is awareness next is counseling and healing and then third is to keep continuing your life and what that looks like and doing what you're passionate about now before i get on to what you do now i just wanted to quickly touch on what it was like discovering that in amongst all of this trauma that you discovered that you were gay How did that play out for you? Because, again, that's just another element of the way society treats us. And it should be just a normal part of life. Oh, I'm heterosexual. Oh, I'm gay. Oh, I'm bisexual.
1: It's okay. You know, you love who you love. Right. Uh, It was kind of second nature. It was always there. And I don't... I remember my my family was super racist and also very big uh, with anything. And so, yeah. you know, there, it was just across the board. It was such a good time. And again, yes. sarcasm, sarcasm. But yes. it was very traumatic, traumatic. But um, I just, I, I didn't really ever second guess it. I was, again, I was, I learned, as I said earlier, I learned how to fly under the radar and not mm-hmm. really, you know, if, as long if I wasn't, yeah, if I wasn't on that radar, then I was fine. Now, don't get me wrong. I was on it a lot. I did a lot of, I was a hyper hyper kid. I was all over the place to get into trouble all the time, but I learned how to kind of balance that. But with, with that being said, um, I just remember watching, I don't know if you guys have saved by the bell out where you're at or, yes. you know, yes. so I, was, I know
0: saved by the bell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was always like, I, I want to be like Kelly, not that I want to be female, but it's like, I want to have a, a guy like Zach when I'm in high school. Yes. That's, and that was just it. It wasn't anything. Yes. I remember I never paid attention to gender and I never paid attention to sexuality. So I, as much as I played Superman, which was primary, um, mm. I would play wonder woman just as much. And it was more about storytelling, yeah. to be real with you. Yes. It's more about me sculpting, you know, different different episodes. And that's something my parents always made fun of me for. Not in a, not in a bad way, but just you know, poked fun yeah. because I was like most kids are out in playgrounds and they kind of just do, you know, it's a bank robbery. whatever. I would go out and I would play, you know, an episode. I would have a first act, second act conflict, and then a, a res, you know resolution. I'd have commercial breaks. I would you know, and I just mimicked what I saw as a kid. amazing is that from from three four or five years old it was it was insane but wow i would love to talk about our initial our initial thing that brought us together which was the living neverland documentary yes because i don't know if we were gonna about that but
0: you know that's fine because i had such a powerful reaction to that and i know that you did too and that's actually what started our conversation so yeah over to you brett
1: Oh okay. Um first of all I was the biggest well, I want to say biggest. I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. Giant yeah. Michael Jackson fan. I had the posters and all of the, I had I had DVDs and like music videos that are kind of like rare as far as I could tell but I mean I yeah. had everything. It didn't matter how many copies were released I had that I had all the copies and and, yeah. and whatnot. I remember when he died I I I remember exactly where I was. I remember like the feeling of loss because I was kind of closeted because Michael Jackson wasn't very super popular, at least in the United States when he died or especially the decade before. So if you were a Michael Jackson fan, unless you had like, you know, a really good self-esteem and thick skin, you were kind of a closeted Michael Jackson fan. (laughs) So I would listen to his music When horrible things happen, if I went, you know, I had a friend die or whatever it was, I'd always go back to music. And then I I did in the, in the beginning of June of uh, 2009, I had a a really close friend of mine pass away from suicide. And I would listen, I was listening to Michael Jackson straight through and then three weeks later. Michael Jackson died. And then it's almost like, what do I do now? So that's just, I I really have to make sure I really put a point on that. So then when Leaving Neverland was coming out, it was coming to Sundance, which is here in Utah. I go to Sundance in Park City every year. Uh, And so, but when I heard, you know, Wade Robson was one of the guys, I was like, dude, this guy used to dance with him. Like, this guy's a liar. Like, there's no way that this is real. And, yeah uh, i did kind of i did boycott sundance because i thought it was ridiculously added it because i was just you know the michael jackson fan that's going to defend no matter what and then i think it was the beginning of march or something it was on hbo of that year yeah 2019 and i i said okay i'm going to go into it because i i even had court documents that, that were public that i just had to print it out in a binder so i would oh. know my stuff like i yes. can go i can go to go you know toe-to-toe with somebody with it and as i watched this documentary the more it fell in line with so many things that weren't even being discussed, but timelines yeah. time and, yeah. and how they brought the receipts. I mean, it's that, yeah. that's that phrase. They had the receipts, they brought it. And even if there's a few little tiny moments that may may seem like memory or whatever, there's there was way too much there was. for it not to have happened. And yeah. so I remember I turned off, I think I went through, because it's four hours. I, I believe I went through SP- three yeah. And I was, stuck. I
0: remember us talking about that, Brett, that you yeah. couldn't watch it all the way through because yeah. how triggered you
1: were, but I did. And I did it on one night, but my, yeah, yeah, I had to, t- I had to take like an hour break and I, and then after that, I didn't talk to anybody for three days. I know that sounds incredibly dramatic, but it's, here's this here's the thing from my childhood i felt safe yeah michael jackson and i didn't realize this until later and that
0: safety's that just being taken away from you was,
1: yep yep he was all about children he was all about as as far as like i'm here for you heal the world you know that's what i grew up with yeah. within an abusive household so there's a lot of reasons why that shouldn't once you know that you know my reaction doesn't seem too dramatic it seems pretty no,
0: pretty um, pretty as expected
1: yeah but the thing with, with James, and this is the main thing I was talking to you about, James Safechuck yeah. is the other guy. And this is yes. what really got me is that it actually made me remember a sexual assault I had when I was five or six. And this is really what we we initially yes. were talking about. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was sexual assault. I am, how old am I? I was like 37, 37 yes. like, or 38, or no, 36, 37, doesn't matter. You know, really late into my, into my 30s finally realizing that 30 years prior oh no. that this was actually a sexual abuse thing because of the way it happened. And I can go into that story, but it's, you know, I was never it was just, it was a sexual assault by yes. my friend's my friend's dad. And yes. they, my friend, okay, this was a trigger warning. I know you did it, but this is Yes, this we'll keep doing it. Warning. That's fine. And I'll, I'll still kind of paint her out but will I'll give you enough. Um My friend and I were, were playing, we're around the same age and we're young, five or six. And yeah. then he started wanting to play a sexually charged you know kind of not role play, but kind of a thing that we did back and forth and it had to do yes. like, playing with with areas and things yes. like that. and I you know, I'm a little kid, I did yeah I didn't really think you way. don't know, uh, you yeah. just so, don't know. yeah, and so I was like, uh okay, I'm like, well I'm like I don't know how it brought, obviously I'm not gonna be able to tell you how it was brought up, but I no. remember that somehow he told me that his dad would play it with him. And that's that's uh, whatever. And then he started to explain how his father looks in you know that private area versus how we uh-huh. look. And yeah. he used things like "there's hair," you know, and things like that. And that's that, that yes. was actually my my introduction to that. Yes. And I was like, "I'm like, that's interesting because I'm a kid. I'm like, that's weird. I wonder what that looks like." And I had, I guess, uh, you know, that he told his dad at some point, and and, and we were playing sometime later weeks yeah months maybe i don't know and his dad came home and he goes hey i heard that you were interested in this and so he revealed himself to me and actually had me touch him and that's oh. the extent it went not that that's not horrible by itself already. Yeah. so it was there was never anything beyond that but yeah. he made sure i knew hey you yeah. were interested you asked yeah. me to see it this is yeah. all on you. I would have never yeah. done this if you didn't ask for it. And so, hey, but you I are a
0: six-year-old.
1: I was just a kid. No, you were and just so a kid. I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want any trouble. My little brain's not going to go super deep into that. It's just, oh, I'm not getting in trouble. But it seemed to just not have. I don't want to say it didn't bother me because it really did. When you look back yes. on how things progressed, yes. but but once the leaving Neverland, it was something with James Safe Safe Chuck. That, yeah I'm trying to remember what it was but I can't remember but there was something how he said it
0: yeah
1: I think it was about the rings that Michael gave yes. him and, about the, yes. and when I said I first of all I wanted to be James's best friend <laughs> at that point I still hope yeah. to meet him someday or get in yes. contact with him someday but um but then it was very much of like oh no yeah oh that was that that's because he was a good guy he was a nice guy it was I don't want to hurt him and get in and trouble and that's yeah. really what it was even now I'm feeling like like yeah. that anxiety of, I don't want to get him in trouble. You know, yeah, exactly. Not, uh, not to quote the thing. But.
0: No, but that, that's part of the reason why these c- crimes happen is because little people don't want to get big people in trouble. And we forget that the adult is the power in the situation, not yeah. the child. It's yeah. got nothing to do they have no power they have yeah. no ability to get themselves out of that situation right. it's the wrongdoing of the adults and the adult in turn may have had that happen to them as a child but it still doesn't make it right, right. and as you said brett oftentimes for many 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 people they don't realize the trauma until decades later yeah. You know, people have written to me about being 75 and realizing because they've read a book or watched something and they've been triggered and thought, "Oh my goodness, that's what happened." Yeah. And it's well,
1: it, sorry. And it's
0: and it's because they've popped it down so deep and buried it so deep. And it impacts on their lives in ways that they don't know until they start that journey of healing and discovery. Right. And to live your life, and, and and the thing is, Brett, that lack of healing in trauma robs you of your best life. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. from my perspective, little Brett could have been um, a global filmmaker of uh-huh. note. Yes. And the trauma robs that potential. And that's not to say that it can't happen because I actually believe that it can still happen. And you are producing great content and movies now. And there's nothing to say that you won't continue to do that and build on that for the rest of your life. But the potential that you had as a 6 year old is robbed from you because of trauma which is why it's so important to recognize the what can happen and what it robs a child of unless they get help and assistance counseling and therapy right there's no other way around it is there brett
1: no and i think just having the education kind of as what you're saying having the education of what that is and what child and sexual abuse is so i didn't I'm going to assume I didn't recognize it as abuse because it wasn't no. like I w- it wasn't these graphic, horrible, like the main, like main, correct horrible, you know, type things. And so but I was it's kind of like whatever. abuse, but Absolutely. it's still
0: abuse. yeah and It's
1: so, still abuse. And even when I thought about it, when I when after watching the documentary, even as I still was processing it, I, the first person I told, I can't remember such a blur, but I was just like, you know this is what happened with me but i don't feel like that was that's not molestation because i i asked for it and when he cut me off is my friend Blake actually he's he's a psychologist now and he cut yes me off and, he, and he said yeah you were a child in the situation end of story there's no other that's it with that. end no, of yeah. story
0: end, end of story and and, and. And it's and it's not just children, it's it's women. If there's someone in a position of power, be they male or female, uh, they are the power holders. They are the ones that either perpetrate a crime or they have a decision to make around whether they um, a- a- abuse someone, and it's about power. And so right. the person in power, Has the control, so the other person doesn't. So it's never, ever, ever your fault. I don't care what anyone says, no one asks to be abused or raped, assaulted, no one. And if you are abused, raped, or assaulted, it's not your fault. It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter where you're at, it doesn't matter about your age. You are the victim. The other person has the power. They are the perpetrator. They are at fault. And we, and as a society, we need to stop blaming victims. We because because victims abash themselves up enough. Because I know what goes through your brain. Why was I there? Why did I ask that question? If I hadn't done this, this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't have said that, da-da-da-da-da-da. We bash ourselves up enough without society doing a pile-on as well. And I remember, particularly in the aftermath of the Michael Jackson documentaries, people saying, oh, but those kids, the parents shouldn't have let the kids be there. No, Michael is the adult in the situation he has the control by virtue of celebrity and power and, and money lighting. and gaslighting gas yeah uh, yeah and like we could have a whole show on what gaslighting looks like Let's do and sometime. how it we absolutely <laughs> I was just I'm looking at the time going I just oh. haven't quite have enough time with, no, with no, not now. <laughs> Brett at the moment. no no we'll do it later we'll do it <laughs> another uh, show another time I'll get Brett bracket back again because people need to understand that these people in in powerful positions that perpetrate these crimes they just want to get away that they just want to get away with what they're doing and they will lie they will gaslight they will cause you to believe that it's your fault and what i'm saying is never ever ever blame a victim always believe a woman Always believe a child. And yes, I can hear the naysayers going, "Oh, but they lie." Do you know the actual percentage of people that lie about crimes like that? One percent. So if you believe a hundred percent, then ninety-nine percent of the time you will be showing your love and support for that person that that person that's just disclosed. And I'm telling you that the first time someone discloses, if you don't believe them you triple the impact of their trauma so you a listening audience someone discloses to you you fuse to believe them for whatever reason you triple the cost to them mentally and that's not okay it's not okay you can you you can um if you go from the perspective of always believing them then down the track you can you can change your mind but if it isn't true in that 1% of cases then you've actually damaged the whole process for everyone else does that make sense
1: mm-hmm. and I think let me add to that if that's okay and see if you mm-hmm. see if you agree um, even if there's a moment or there's something in you where you don't necessarily believe them or it's something that's kind of hard to believe Correct. I would say I would say take a step back and look at them and think to yourself what do they need right now in this situation other than absolutely them, I might not believe it but what can I provide them that they need mm-hmm. in this moment? Mm-hmm. And if it's something like attention, and I'm not not in a negative way, but attention of just needing to get off their chest. If it's something yes. where it's, it's something violent that has just happened, we need to get yes. authorities involved, or you know and how do we want to go about that. them. And support it, even if you don't necessarily believe it right off the bat. Absolutely,
0: you know, like absolutely. Done. I think that that is just one of the keys that people need to remember, that in that instance, when someone discloses or tell, tells you about something of, of this nature, you need to just listen to them because whether it's true or not is actually irrele- irrelevant. Right. Part of their healing journey is that disclosure. That point in time starts their healing.
1: Yeah, but yeah hopefully.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, It at least gives them someone. They're not one person anymore. They're two. You they're know, they two. have somebody that's listening to them. So.
0: And the other powerful thing about that is that those stories, whilst they remain untold, hold power over you. The moment that you open yourself up and talk about that story, it ceases to hold power over you and your life starts the healing process and i know this works because not only have i seen brett's journey not only have i observed on the sideline brett's journey i've observed and seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people walk the same way and i know that these concepts we're talking about are important. And I know that people, we need to treat trauma in a different way, Brett, because we need to have whole adults. I don't want any more little Bretts being robbed of their potential because we didn't manage their trauma correctly in the first instance, you know, because someone would have known that little six-year-old Brett was suffering in some way. Someone would have picked it up. A mother, a friend, a school teacher, someone would have had a moment that caused them pause, that that they would have said, oh, gosh, something's not right in Brett's life. Someone. But they didn't act on it. Yeah, they didn't act on it.
1: With the cultural how we talked about that earlier of how you're yes. supposed to be as a family. Yeah, we we did yeah. it well. We ever if you knew my mom outside of the household, she was the nicest. And she she is nice and yes. she did, yes. she did a group yes. some great things for people, but I really Absolutely. wish she was a lot more back home for us. You know, and well, whatever. But anyway, but yeah, that's that. Anyway, Brett. what am I doing? <laughs>
0: am I we doing are <laughs> I am so grateful that you are here that you do have the courage and vulnerability to talk about this it lights my soul when young men have the courage to have these difficult conversations because they make it better for all the young men across the planet and the older men too to have these discussions and we need strong men we need recovered men we need healed men if ever in humanity now's the time for men to seek healing and tell their stories Brett James Bishop, I am so privileged to have you on the show today. We are completely out of time. Absolutely. We are going to do, we are going to do this again and make That's... sure that we have further conversations because I believe it is so okay. important. Wonderful audience, please thank my guest Brett James Bishop today. Um, we will be back again. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Business Show. I'm your host Tony Lontis, and we will be back next week with another show. Thank you so much, Brett.
1: Thank you, appreciate it.
0: Bye for now, everyone. I'm going to do it to
1: the best of my ability because if I fail, that means I fail for my entire female nation, I call it. Is that possible? That was the question for myself.